You're listening to Conversations, brought to you by TechSquare ATL. Hey, everybody. Garo up in the balcony. Anyone else hiding up there? There we go. Hey, thanks for everyone coming out tonight. Uh, my name is Scott Henderson. Uh, you are in the home of Sandbox ATL. Uh, we are a membership club for TechSquare. Um, we call our clubhouse uh, the garage, aptly, with the, the garage doors and all. And uh, really excited about uh, tonight, the Hump Day Exchange and what, uh, what we have going on. I think, um, you know, if you don't know much about TechSquare, uh, it's, it's actually a really vibrant place because of the, let's see, here we go. Just the sheer density of uh, innovation that's here. You've got uh, at least, oh, there's Ed Ricker. You got Ed, that's all you needed, Ed Ricker right there. Hello, Ed. Uh, so in, in the entire Southeast, you can't find a higher density of startups, students, corporate and innovation centers, and academic researchers than, than in this eight block area, right, that we are in the middle of, of Tech Square. And so if you, if you think about just uh, every day, what, you know, the, the people that are coming in and out of Tech Square, the students, the startups, the corporate innovators, all these new ideas that are coming through, you've got idea and talent and capital coming together uh, every, every day. So tonight is the Hump Day Exchange. You are here at the first iteration of Hump Day Exchange Evening Edition. Uh, the idea is to create a monthly social gathering uh, for Tech Square. So people, you know, we have you know, about 2,000 people that come in and out of these buildings every day, and we just want to find a, a, a way, one way, that you can find out what each other do, uh, is doing and what you're creating. Because, you know, the idea of innovation isn't that you just hang out with people that have the same discipline and expertise. True breakthroughs come when you find people from different sectors, from different perspectives, and different backgrounds, where you hear them say something, you hear them explain something, and it creates that aha moment that allows for you to take that idea from their sector into your field and make that big breakthrough. All right, so you've already seen all of our slides. Isn't that great? I pushed the wrong button. How about that? Keep going with this. Just power through, Scott. They won't notice that that happened. All right, so Hump Day Exchange, second Wednesday of every month, 5 to 7 p.m. We're really excited to have ATDC and Scheller College of Business to partner with us uh, to make this happen every month. Um, also want to give a, a quick shout-out to AT&T Foundry. I know Carl is, is here and uh, other folks from AT&T Foundry make uh, one of our strategic partners. We really enjoy that relationship. Uh, if you haven't already, this is a chance for you to uh, get registered before you leave. You don't have to do it right now. But if you haven't already, there's a door prize station. Omri's right there. Uh, and we are giving away two $25 gift cards as door prize tonight. One to Revelator Coffee, which is right above us, and also to Atwood's, which is about a block over serving great pizzas and actually doing breakfast. It's amazing stuff in the uh, Biltmore Hotel. Um, so we have uh, folks, if you're a member of Sandbox ATL, we'll have you sign in. And then we're going to draw and give one of, our, one of those gift cards to our members. And then if you're not a member, you can still win. Just make sure you sign up where Omri is as well. Uh, I do want to give a, a quick uh, a shout out to Heather Rule, who's our event wrangler. Uh, if you are like, hey, I, I need to hold a really cool event. I need to do a hackathon. I need to do a, we did corporate training this week. We've got a big workshop about photography and storytelling Thursday and fr I mean, Friday and Saturday in this space. Uh, she's uh, who, uh, who you talk to. She's got bookthegarage.com that she takes care of. Uh, and we are very happy to be able to um, rent this space out so that folks who do join Sandbox ATL, 
I know we have a number of our members here, uh, some of whom are basic members that the buildings have bought you a membership. Others are paying out of pocket uh, and, uh, and to use the space and to come to social events. Uh, if you're interested in Sandbox ATL, you can certainly go to sandboxatl.com and become a member. We'd love to have you. So with that, uh, I think uh, we are ready to go with tonight's program. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone ready for a little bit of uh, a, a three rapid-fire insights on the idea of smart cities? Anybody got a joke? Anybody other than Ed? Anyone else in here that, that's got something to add? <laughs> Glad to have you. I, mean, I don't mean to make fun. Ed and I are really good friends, so it's not like I'm trying to be mean with him. Okay. I will not say anything about a guy named Ed. Will not. <laughs> you set up a no punchline? Okay, <laughs> that's great. So you guys, this will be a contest. Uh, if you can fill in the blank, you're such a smart city. Why? Why? So um, I've got three really great uh, presentations. I'm very happy to have all three of our presenters tonight talk on the life in the smart city. Uh, to begin with, I'm going to ask uh, someone who uh, knew by the age of 16 that he wanted to go to Georgia Tech and that uh, also uh, he was a ham operator. So uh, representing Cognosis, Cognosis, I already got that one. I'm going to get the name wrong too uh, with uh, Jim Strategos. Is it that right? Strategos, I should have practiced this. Uh, he's going to talk to you about how inexpensive sensors can really change a city. English is not my first language. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, I tell you, uh, what uh, Sandbox and the management company has done with these facilities is amazing. Uh, I, uh, I, I told Jonathan he could either say, I started my interest in electronics as a ham radio operator, or I'm the oldest entrepreneur here. Now that Ed is here, I'm not sure that's, that's correct. But uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, <laughs> uh, and if you walked across uh, the bridge to Fifth Street, after five or six o'clock, you're taking your life in your own hands. Uh, this was not a pretty neighborhood. And the changes that have come about in the last decade, uh, as I've been an entrepreneur and gone through now four, my fifth startup, beginning at ATDC on 10th Street, and then ATDC at GCAT uh, prior to the Summer Olympics in 96, and now ATDC down here on 5th Street, it is just amazing what uh, transformation Georgia Tech and all the developers who partnered with Georgia Tech have made in this area. So it's, it's really a fun place to be. And as you know, if you've ever been involved with a company at ATDC, you're going to do everything you can never to graduate. So whatever test there is, you flunk it. And whatever day there's a meeting to talk about graduation, you're out of town. And uh, when Natasha or any of the uh, ATDC uh, uh, staff come by, you're conveniently absent. When there's any discussion about, well, you know, the annual showcase is coming up and we got a plaque. I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, change the name of the company, you know, pivot and stay there for another three years because this is such a great place to be. So um, a real quick few slides about what Cognosis does. We're obviously across the street uh, at ATDC. Uh, we, uh, for the past year and a half, have been applying a patented uh, technology to smart cities and the, and the broader Internet of Things uh, applications. And the whole idea is providing connectivity to things that aren't normally connected, which is what everybody's trying to do with the Internet of Things. We've got a pretty unique spin on it, and I would just walk through 
two or three use cases that may be, a pertinent, uh, may be pertinent to smart cities and tell you a little bit about our technology. So in a nutshell, what, what we do, we call it sensing as a service, a little play on, on SaaS, because we actually have, don't tell anybody, hardware in our business model. So we provide sensors to our customers who want to measure vibration, temperature, power, water, humidity, location, connect it to the internet through our wireless technology and provide that data through a cloud-based and mobile, mo mobilized application. So uh, let's talk about cars. Uh, everybody uh, has a car, drives a car, deals with cars on a daily basis, and as you may know, there's a lot of them. Uh, there's 253 million cars on the road in the United States. Um, that is a lot of cars. There are a lot of cars that do not go on the road. And so the average car spends 95% of its time parked. And I know Uber and Lyft and all the ride-sharing guys trade on that, that statistics as well. But when it comes to parking and transportation, knowing where that car is when it's not on the road uh, is a key element of value proposition for a lot of businesses. This is in Georgia at the Port of Brunswick. Uh, this is a place called Colonel's Island, and it and about a dozen other facilities around the country are where foreign car manufacturers bring their cars to the United States to have them configured with your nav package, your tires, uh, your color, uh, whatever you need when you order a new car, it's put on at facilities like this. This facility does a million cars a year. And while those cars are on their parking lot, they're not on the road, but somebody needs to know where they are. 60 million cars are sold in the U.S. every year, about 15 million new and about 45 million used cars. But where is it when it's not driving down the road? When it's driving down the road, we have this, we have telematics in the car, OnStar and the like, we know where the cars are, but what about when they're parked? When did it move? This is a parking lot. There are 800 million parking spaces in the United States. People spend, people drivers, spend 70 million hours a year looking for a space, and over 10% of all vehicle CO2 emissions are as a result of driving around in a loop looking for a place to park, either on the street or in a garage. How can we solve that problem? How can we reduce the time it takes to park a car? When you go into a parking garage, if you've ever been in Colony Square, how many people have circled around for 30 minutes looking for a place to park? How many, if you operate that parking lot, how do you know how many are left? How do you know when someone comes in the gate that you can actually, they can actually drive and find a place to park? I've been in parking garages like Colony Square where after circling around 30 minutes, you had to leave because they had no idea that there was no place to park. You go to the airport, there's supposedly a sign that says 16 spaces left on level one. Bullshit. It doesn't work. If you're the owner of that parking lot or the operator, how do you optimize revenue? How do you make the parking experience productive for your parkers? How do you maximize revenue? How do you know how many spaces are left? How do you know when you're going to have an overcapacity situation? How many people have been here? Um, can I park close to my destination? I'm going to uh, Rosa Mexicana. You go down in the bowels of, uh, of uh, Atlantic Station, you have no idea where you are or how, how, where you're going to be when you come out. So you go back after a couple of margaritas, where is my car? 
Waste management, another big issue in cities. Uh, every business generates waste, tons and tons of it every day in a commercial building. But this $55 billion industry does not know if there's trash in the container. The two largest providers of waste hauling services will not come on demand. They will only empty your dumpster based upon a schedule. And whether it's totally full and overflowing or a third full, you pay the same no matter what. Did you recycle everything you can? How do you know? How does the waste hauler know that recycling components have been removed from the stream? So the way we answer all these questions is by making all of these things smart. And when we say smart, at Cognosis, we mean connected. And when we say connected, it means wireless. So parking lots, cars, dumpsters need to be connected to the internet. It's easy to say, not easy to do. The sensors have to be very inexpensive. They gotta run on a battery for a year, and they gotta be easy to install, easy to use. And that's what Cognosis is doing. So when we looked at all the wireless technologies that could be applied to smart cities, and look at the stuff that we're familiar with that's in our phones and our laptops, Bluetooth, Zigbee, RFID, Wi-Fi, and looked at their ability to scale to the size of cities, the good news is they were low cost. The bad news is they cannot scale to the size of cities. Cellular obviously can, covers the city great, watch cat videos all day long, thank you very much, AT&T and Verizon, but it's not cost effective for hooking up a dumpster or a parking space. So we invented and patented a technology we call Radio Cloud that's optimized for sensors. Uh, we get a five-year battery life from a device that looks about like that. Uh, it's very low cost, very easy to install. Install and forget, peel and stick, and now you're connected to the cloud. Power is the big deal in wireless communications. Someone said there's no such thing as a free lunch. Claude Shannon put it in, in mathematical form. Uh, you, in order to have long life, low cost connectivity, you've got to reduce the power required for a radio transmission. Uh, one watt is common with your cell phone, a half a watt is common with your laptop. We transmit one one thousandth of a watt in order to provide connectivity. So that gives us extreme flexibility in terms of cost and battery life. So we put it all together, we provide an end-to-end -end solution we call sensing as a service. So we provide the sensors that are attached to an object, the gateways and the network infrastructure to bring it back into the cloud, the signal processing to make all this magic wireless stuff happen, and the web interface and the analytics to provide the data in a format that our customer needs. That's what we do, thank you very much. If you have any questions, I think there'll be an opportunity later. Thank you very much, Jim. Well done. All right, so uh, our, next, uh, our next speaker uh, is representing a very large organization called AT&T, uh, but everyone gets their breaks in different ways. And one thing that Matt Foreman has uh, informed me about, which you always gotta be careful what you share with me, is uh, the fact that uh, he's a former cruise director and bingo caller. So uh, if uh, this doesn't work out for him, uh, Matt Foreman might be on the, your thing for bingo calling. So Matt Foreman from AT&T Smart City is going to talk to us about what's going on here in Atlanta. All right, all right. So first up, we have 075, the granddaddy of bingo, 075. Um, 
So Atlanta is no stranger to smart cities, Internet of Things, and more importantly, the innovation ecosystem out here at Georgia Tech and, and broader Atlanta as well. Um, the leader of my organization actually came in with a software company to Atlanta because of the compelling ecosystem out here, uh, had a successful exit, moved into AT&T, uh, and given his relationships out in the Atlanta area, um, was brought in and, and leading the Smart Cities organization, which, you know, very proud to say, not only that group, but the Internet of Things team for all of AT&T, uh, based right here out of Atlanta as well, partnering very closely, a lot of work in the foundry, located here at Georgia Tech Tech Square. Uh, so all good stuff and very happy to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, so talking about smart cities, we always like to just level set first and foremost. I think it's a, a word or a term thrown around a lot and not necessarily a lot of folks can wrap a definition around that. Uh, I'll take a stab at it. I don't know that it's uh, as granular as we'd like to be. It's a pretty broad umbrella. But when we think about smart cities, we like to think about using technology to connect people, processes, and assets to really help cities drive to cost optimization, environmental sustainability, and a higher quality of life for their citizens. So that's kind of what we do and how, or I should say why we do it uh, in this space. And we'll go a little deeper there, but you know, what's, what's in it for a city and what problems does this, does this help a city solve? So we talk to mayors and CIOs across the country on a regular basis. And it's the same concerns that, that come up from city to city, conversation to conversation. And there's certainly different intricacies or, or unique elements as it pertains to each city. Um, but, but first and foremost, the cities have no time, no money, and no people, right? And, and have serious cost pressures where they're looking to drive some of that uh, operational efficiency. So we talked about, Jim talked about, you know, smart garbage cans and knowing when a garbage can is full. Well, what's that mean? Why, why would a city care? And, and how does that have to do with cost savings? So, uh, instead of that garbage truck going down the street and stopping on, you know, every garbage can on Second Street, garbage can, garbage can, garbage can, garbage can, when you have a software platform that's dynamically routing the trucks and you reduce that fleet by, uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 percentage points, hypothetically, um, now not only are you reducing the cost structure needed to, to provide that service, but you have a higher quality of life for the citizens because you have less traffic, you have reduced environmental emissions. So a lot of these are really interwoven in terms of being able to address all of these sometimes in one solution uh, and tell a nice story. So uh, in addition to cost savings, you have increasing urbanization. So cities that are successful, very much like Atlanta, uh, are a victim of their own success where more people, more businesses are wanting to move in there, oftentimes riding on top of infrastructure that's 40, 50, 60, even more years old, uh, even greater years older than that, right? So really old infrastructure, no people to manage it, cost pressures and more people moving in, again, leaves a dynamic where there's an opportunity as the cost of connectivity comes down to enable some of these technologies and solutions to drive that efficiency um, and, and really help address some of these different issues. So when you think about increasing urbanization and, and take water pipes, for example, um, the city might have 50-year-old water pipes where it's billions of dollars to rip that out, replace everything, and, and put in a system that would really be what they should do if they were building it from scratch, given the current needs of that city. We can come in with, with our partner ecosystem, do something like acoustic leak detection. Okay, so what's that, what does that mean, right? You, you screw in without breaking concrete and, and causing traffic and havoc for the citizens, through an acoustic leak detection device screwed in in the back of a fire hydrant, you can now listen to the water pipes. So again, a, a battery in there to address the battery uh, and, and power needs, uh, LTE chip in there for connectivity. And now when we know there's a leak, uh, we can proactively dispatch a truck out there and address it when it's a small leak to the precise location 
um, so you're not digging up concrete all over, creating a horrible environment for those citizens to live in. Because again, what happens if you have a small leak that goes unaddressed? It's gonna leak a little bit, that's fine, right? The city knows they have non-revenue water loss. We're pushing 10,000 gallons a second, billing 8,000 gallons a second. Little leak, no big deal. Over time, that's eroding the soil. Eventually, you have a huge water main break, right? Breaks through the street, flooding local businesses, uh, and, and very expensive problems. So inexpensive acoustic leak detection, again, same as the garbage can, talking about how you can go in and, and drive some operational efficiency, move uh, operations to a predictive mentality, and track it back to higher quality of life for the citizens. And then uh, something no city can get away from, especially the large ones, is they are very siloed political organizations, right? Um, there's different leaders that have their own measures of success, their own pro profit and loss centers. So how do you come into that city and help them navigate their own ecosystem to add value not only in, in one domain, if the Department of Transportation is, is putting in smart parking, how does that track back and impact public safety? How, if we're doing that truckle, can we do an environmental sensor that might also have a sustainability story to tell? Uh, so again, a, a telecommunications provider, or any company with relationships across these multiple departments, very well positioned to come in and help them do that. So at AT&T, we're focused on five different solution domains, energy and utilities, transportation, citizen engagement, public safety, and infrastructure. Uh, within each one of those five domains, there's subsequent use cases um, that'll kind of resonate more or less in different cities, but you see these are, are really the common ones and, and where my company, my team is focused on. So um, when you think about energy and utilities, we you think about smart grid and a meter, right? What happens when I put a meter, uh, excuse me, a SIM card uh, with LTE connectivity in a meter, right? Well, now instead of the guy walking around to every house and, and writing down how much energy you've used or water you've consumed, uh, you get that real-time operational visibility and again, a better customer experience. Some water companies out in the country now will say, okay, well, you have a house that's this many square feet, this many people live there, uh, you have two bathrooms and a washing machine, therefore your average consumption of water will be maybe throw a dart at the wall this much. And that's how much you pay every month. Right, so again, with, with this IoT technology and solutions, that operational visibility really tracks back nicely to a much higher quality customer experience. Uh, and we're doing some different things out in Georgia Tech as well. We've announced our Spotlight City program uh, where we're gonna be deploying uh, three, four, or five integrated solutions in different cities around the country. We actually look at a campus very much, uh, very similar to a city, right? Campus is dealing with things, transportation, public safety, uh, environmental issues, parking, ingress, egress, uh, and, and of course, energy efficiency. So um, more announcements will be made around what's being done out at Georgia Tech, but we're, we're partnered very closely with uh, Jeff Evans at, at Georgia Tech Research Institute, uh, as, as well as working through the city of Atlanta. I won't go too deep on this slide, um, but Atlanta's got a very nice strategic uh, structure as to how they're tackling smart cities as well. And, and they're very innovative in the sense they've actually realigned the uh, city organizations so that there's one person who's in charge of smart cities. So now you have one visionary leader who can come in and execute on Mayor Reed's strategy and, and have all that, again, tracking back, to, we talked about politics before. Uh, so just that's the one first step a lot of cities aren't even taking yet to establish that one throat to choke is what we call it, right? That, that one leader who has that horizontal visibility across the city operations to move some of these forward. So really excited that they made those announcements here in Atlanta uh, and, and working closely with them on that. Uh, so with that, I'll thank you and maybe we'll take some questions a little bit later.
All right. G12. There you go. So uh, when we get to Q&A, make sure you, when you want a reference to Matt for a question, just start it with a bingo call. All right. So um, I was, uh, as we were getting ready for the, this idea of uh, life in the smart city, uh, it's very easy when, uh, when you're immersed into the world that we are that you think that everyone has the same amount of opportunity when it comes to technology. Uh, and so uh, I was thinking, who is the guy who used to be a DJ and collects headphones, over-the-ear headphones, uh, who could talk to us about smart cities and the same time come across as hip and cool, uh, do-gooder, and actually know something? Uh, and I thought of Rohit. Uh, from the Center for Center Civic Innovation, and he's going to share with you what they're doing here in Atlanta on the West Side communities, and also kind of the idea of how do we do this so that it's a smart city for everyone. So, Rohit. How are y'all doing? Good? Energetic? A little bit? It's late? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, the civic community is not uh, necessarily the first thing that gets brought into a conversation around technology. Uh, and truth is, it's, it's often the easiest communities. Uh, it's easy to forget a number of communities that need to be a part of the conversation. So I'm very excited to talk to you about the opportunity in Atlanta to make sure that uh, Atlanta is not just a smart city for some people, uh, that it's a smart uh, city for everyone. Uh, and I always like to start off uh, with, with uh, my favorite book uh, growing up as a kid. Uh, spoiler alert for those of you who have not read The Giving Tree. First of all, shame on you. Uh, second of all, uh, you know, the, the book is, is a really interesting story about a young kid whose uh, greatest memories happen in his life around a tree. Uh, he, he meets his best friends there. He finds love around that tree. He, uh, he leaves. He decides to go to college. and. Uh, and then one day he leaves, uh, comes back, uh, and he takes some of the branches to go build a house. He comes back uh, and constantly taking and taking from the tree until one day he comes and the tree has fallen apart. Uh, and he looks back at that tree and at the end he says, you know, kind of wishes he did more. Uh, the Giving Tree is, is my personal journey and my personal story with the city of Atlanta. Uh, I grew up here. Uh, some of my best friends are from here. Uh, my family is here. I learned to play ball here. I didn't know that you can't make the YMCA team uh, that you pay to uh, be a part of that. So thanks, Mom. Uh, but uh, this city is a really special place for me. Um, it's, it's a city that I've called home. It's, it's the one city that I hope to always call home. Uh, but truth is, there's, uh, this city has a deep-rooted history. It's a, it's a true tale of two cities. Uh, on one hand, um, you know, we have entrepreneurship is thriving in this city. Uh, the headlines and the, the beautiful buildings and the amazing uh, industries that are coming back to this city and bringing this city back, uh, we have a heck of a lot to be proud of. But our history is not so far away. Uh, Atlanta today still has the highest income inequality gap in the United States. And this is the third year in a row I'm saying that same statistic over and over again. Uh, and what income inequality means is not that uh, this is a terrible place for everyone. It means that this place is filled with a ton of resource, but it's only for some people. And as I mentioned, entrepreneurship is thriving. It's our headline. Uh, everyone's talking about it. You want to be an entrepreneur? You come to Atlanta. This is the place to be. 
And so when you think about it, we have this ecosystem of true entrepreneurial energy, amazing talks around smart cities, technologies that are being created, yet we have a 4% upward mobility where there's a 96% chance if you're born poor in Atlanta, you die poor in Atlanta. That's just not okay. Um, and so when we think about fixing the problem and we talk about social impact work, we usually talk about it as charity. We say, that's charitable work. Uh, out of the goodness of my heart, uh, I would like to contribute X number of dollars to make my city better. Uh, and that is my contribution. But truth is, social impact work is not charity. Uh, it's economic development work. That when we solve social challenges that are happening in our city, when we use those tools at our disposal, uh, those smart tools that we have at our disposal to actually tackle challenges systemically, that our local economy thrives. That it's cheaper to send a kid to private school than to lock them up uh, under the age of 18. It's just an economic driver, and as long as we keep talking about it as charitable work, uh, we'll never actually see progress. And when the economy actually does hurt, uh, it will always significantly hurt one side of the economy harder than the other. So why is this important for Atlanta? There's no better picture than this to explain what's happening in our city. Atlanta has neighborhoods that have been here for a long, long time. Uh, there are neighborhoods that uh, people have been in for three, four generations. Uh, and we've forgotten about those neighborhoods in a lot of different ways. Um, and for decades, we have given promises to these neighborhoods saying, we promise, we hear you, and we'll get to you, uh, but not yet. But the time is now. Uh, in fact, Atlanta now is, is getting so uh, close and interconnected that you can't ignore these communities uh, in any sort of development or economic work that you're doing in this city. And when we see this, uh, most people say, well, there are a lot of poor people and we need to go and bring amazing things to them. Fact is, these neighborhoods have amazing assets already. These neighborhoods have entrepreneurs already. Truth is, they don't call themselves that. Because the best social entrepreneurs don't call themselves that. They call themselves teachers. They call themselves doctors. They call themselves farmers. Uh, these are people who have products, programs, and services within communities. But they're just bad entrepreneurs. And, but it's much easier to take somebody who's a subject matter expert, like a farmer, and turn them into an entrepreneur than to try to take an entrepreneur and to turn them into a farmer. So there is a huge opportunity for us to use the entrepreneurial energy that we have, the technology that we're growing, to pair up and team up with people who are already on the ground, who are the assets of this city, who understand this city, and this is their city. Uh, it is our opportunity to make sure that the city thrives for everyone. So social impact businesses, as I mentioned, are economic drivers. And they're economic drivers because, number one, they create jobs. The Center for Civic Innovation started off as two people hoping to someone would take a bet on us. And today, we're a company of nine. And we hope to grow to 15 by the end of the year. On top of that, they earn revenue. These are businesses that make profit. Uh, the difference is, is that their profit actually goes back toward their programs to make sure that those programs can grow and serve more people. 
Last, they, desi they design more accurate and data-driven solutions, and they create economic impact. Now, you're probably thinking, I've heard of these nonprofits that you're talking about. They don't really make the, we have so many of them. Look at, are we really making impact? You don't have to be a nonprofit to make social impact. In fact, some of the best businesses that we have here in Atlanta are for-profit companies who say, we, are will we want to make profit, but not at the expense of disenfranchising the communities that we actually work in and that we serve. So over this past year, we launched something called the Westside Innovation Lab, uh, which was a bet that there's already the talent, the know-how, and incredible resource and assets already on the ground within Westside communities. And that if empowered with the support, meaning capital, meaning partnerships, and the same types of services and wraparound things we do for a tech company, if we do that for a entrepreneur, true entrepreneur on the ground, that we would achieve amazing results. And people said, are, is, are there, is there anybody even there doing this type of work? You'll probably get the same 10, 12 people who show up to meetings. You're not really gonna see anything. After one month of, of seeking out ideas, we received over 120 applications from residents. Everything from a guy who's been cutting hair for 25 years who wants to turn his barbershop into a place where he provides mentorship services to the young men who get their hair cut there, to another guy who uh, actually mows lawns for a living, but he's been hiring young people for the summer to keep them off the street. There's another cool group called Gangsters to Growers, who actually take people who want to get out of gang lifestyle and learn how to grow and, and get food to restaurants. A lot of the restaurants and the fancy restaurants we're eating from, they're getting their food and produce from some of the best urban farmers we have. The difference is that those farmers Aren't, don't even have the enough capital to eat at the restaurants that they provide food to. So takeaways. Number one, social entrepreneurs don't necessarily call themselves that. This is not charity work. Uh, this is economic development work. That they, we can actually measure the impact that a social business has. Uh, that it improves outcomes, but in addition to that, it makes our city thrive. And it makes sure that during times of recession that our city serves everybody. And last, that by investing in social impact businesses, we'll make Atlanta better for the long run. And Atlanta is filled with the talent that's already needed. And truth is, given our history and our current need, Atlanta should be the home of social impact businesses in the United States. That's our calling. That's what the Center for Civic Innovation does. Uh, it's what we believe. Uh, and it's what we're set out to do over the next, uh, next few years. So thank you for your time. All right, uh, we're going to get our stage set up with our, uh, I call it the barbership, uh, Barbershop Quartet. We'll have Jim and Matt and Rohit uh, come up on the stage here. I'm going to serve as the Phil Donahue. And uh, it is now Q&A, town, town Hall style. It's time for Ed Ricker to have his, uh, his payback on uh, what we, we were compelling him to do. Y your name was already mentioned once more, so you, you have now the ability to do whatever you want, Ed, if you want to. No? No, you're not. You're not going for it, Ed. God. All right. You're good. You're good. All right. So uh, here it is. Um, really good. Thank you, guys. Round of applause for these guys on really good presentation. Uh, 
I, I do want to say thank you to Doggy Dog and to Bahama Blast Snowballs. They're going to be out there for a while, so make sure you, uh, you enjoy that stuff. And then Park Ant Cycles, thanks for bringing your, your, uh, your, your electronic bicycle uh, rack, bike rack, bike rack uh, out for us to see. Uh, they'll be out there as well, but uh, Q&A. So uh, who wants to be first? Uh, what do you got? Can't, that was your answer? Can't handle you, you're an error? Okay, great. Ed, what do you got? I got nothing So the question is milliwatt and five miles, what's that? Uh, smart wireless. Using Shannon's law to the extreme to uh, maximize range using signal processing, geeky stuff like advanced forward error correction coding, MIMO, all that cool stuff to extract the signal from the noise. Because that's all wireless communications is involved is signals and noise. Noise is bad, signals are good. So the question, if you didn't hear it, is uh, Rohit mentioned he wanted to see Atlanta become kind of the, the, the city for social impact. And so the question is, what cities are really at the top of that list right now? Uh, so I think Atlanta can be the home of social impact businesses. Uh, and uh, right now, uh, you have cities. So 95% of social impact capital, which is an actual class of capital that essentially is a fancy way of saying we're willing to take lower returns or we're willing to be more patient with our money, or philanthropies that are willing to do program-related investments, 95% of that capital uh, goes to four cities. So businesses in four cities. Uh, that's New York, San Francisco, Boston and DC. So if you're a social impact business, you actually can get investment uh, to grow your business uh, in those four cities. Uh, Atlanta, actually, I would be willing to bet, and we're cataloging this right now, could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the quality and level of those types of social entrepreneurs. As I said before, though, they don't call themselves that. And in cities around the country that where social impact businesses refer to themselves as just, I'm just a small nonprofit or I'm just a farmer that does so-and-so, they actually leave themselves out of a ton of capital that's available. Um, so those four cities are actually investing directly Chicago just announced a $100 million fund for social impact businesses in Chicago. They're saying, come build it here. We will support you. Fast forward in uh, Philly, actually created a $10 million fund that said we, and we lost two Atlanta-based social impact businesses to Philadelphia because they actually were able to get their first stage investment there. Um, so I think that we have a long way to go on capital, on infrastructure, but the talent and the resources are 100% here. Um, we just have to see it as, an, as economic work, just not charity and philanthropic work. Follow up, Ed? So question is, um, uh, Jim had mentioned low-cost sensors. Uh, we got a ballpark for that. So uh, the, 
the chips that we use in our sensors are the same chips that are in your key fob for your car and the GPS receiver in your phone. So a few dollars worth of parts in plastic. So how, how do we measure uh, if we are the home of social impact or not? Uh, so I, I think it goes back to similar principles that we measure on any sort of industry that thrives here. Are we creating jobs within the industry? Are we actually putting investment dollars uh, toward uh, this type of work? Uh, but most importantly, are we actually creating more efficient and, and accurate solutions? Uh, one of the coolest ways to measure this is uh, you can, if you look at savings that are created because of certain social interventions, so in New York, um, they made a bet that they could reduce recidivism rates at Rikers Island uh, by 20%, which would save the state $100 million. Goldman Sachs actually put up the upfront capital to reduce that rate by 10% to save the state $100 million, and they would earn a $20 million return off of that. Uh, now, it was $10 million to invest in the services to save the state $100 million, and they would get $20 million back. Now, uh, the, the interesting thing about that deal is that you can actually quantify savings in criminal justice. Every single day a kid is locked up inside of Fulton County jail system, it costs us as the taxpayer 150 bucks. So consider it 150 bucks, which in Atlanta you're pretty much staying at the Four Seasons, right? So uh, 150 bucks a night to lock a kid up for a nonviolent expense. When you extrapolate that year after year after year, it actually is not economically smart for Fulton County to be locking up people who could actually be better served uh, with, with recidivism-based services that there are plentiful of here in Atlanta. I have a question for you, Matt. You, you guys are working on the Smart Cities. This is a global initiative, right, and you're focused on Atlanta. Um, City of Atlanta and Georgia Tech and Midtown. Uh, how do people plug into what you're doing uh, if they're an entrepreneur or folks that are doing research uh, or startups that are looking to plug into How do, how do they work with you? I feel like Carl paid you to ask that question because I'm going to go back over there to him. Um, so, so there's a few different ways that the development community and, and the new venture community can engage in this space, right? Um, so first and foremost, if you just have an idea and you're trying to work through that idea, we have our, our foundry system. And we actually just launched a new one uh, this week, last week? This week, Tuesday, right? I think it opened uh, in Houston, focused entirely on, on mHealth. Uh, and uh, I think that's the largest medical campus in the U.S. down in Houston. I could be wrong on that. Um, so the Foundry ecosystem is a great touch point for the local community, just like they serve that role here on Georgia Tech's campus. Uh, Plano, uh, Silicon Valley, Israel, uh, now Houston as well. Um, so that's one. The, the developer community that we have as well, um, the developer program is really the front door process or the, the front door for that foundry ecosystem. Uh, in addition to the foundry, so you have an idea you're working through, you want to go through the foundry. They help you uh, iterate really quick, quick prototypes, fail fast type environment. Uh, maybe you have a solution where connectivity you think should be a part of that. Uh, you can come in through our uh, developer connection kits and, and, and work through that and we actually get a handful of SIM cards and access to all the tools and training and forums um, to, to be able to support that and, and help you build that into your offering or product. 
Um, and, and that's for very early stage as well, right, as, as you're moving through that. Um, and then there's a device certification process. If you kind of mature out and, and, and want to really do something, uh, if, if you're ramping up and maybe get some funding, uh, that you actually go through that device certification process as well. But then things like the hackathons that have been out in, in, in this venue right here, I think, previously. Uh, we have one out in Chicago starting Friday and Saturday. Uh, focused on smart cities at our Michigan Avenue store. We have an AT&T Shape event that's going to be at AT&T Park in San Francisco in July, where we're going to lock all the folks in the in the stadium, give them access to our new IoT connection kits and, and a bunch of different uh, APIs and technology that way as well. All right, we got one over here. So the question to, to Rohit, Rohit from the Center for Civic Innovation, what is, what is your business model? Sure. So uh, I like to call ourselves uh, preventative care for cities. Uh, and usually similar to uh, if, like my dad, who's diabetic, he didn't care about his diabetes until he had it. Uh, civic engagement is the exact same way. Um, you don't care about it until it blows up in your face and becomes a huge issue. Uh, and truth is, we've done a very poor job in this city at actually engaging residents. Uh, and that is something that we do fee-for-service for contract work on. Uh, so we will actually go in, uh, we'll embed ourselves within a community for an extended period of time. Uh, we will listen to that community. We go ears open first, mouth closed. Uh, and we spend an extended period of time and then we extract out things we hear. Uh, then we, we present out potential investments for individuals that, for the, the entity that actually wants to engage with that community will present potential investments that these are community ideas that we could incubate just like any other idea. Are you down to do it? We actually charge in order to incubate those ideas. And then the investment dollars comes from uh, the group that's investing in the first place. So we're 80% earned revenue on that model. Um, we earn another 10% off of, uh, we have a membership-based model for the programs that we do. Uh, we host anywhere from 10 to 12 programs per month, which just on Monday, we held a talk on MARTA. And MARTA did four meetings across town to get people to engage on the new MARTA referenda that's happening. Uh, we had more people in the room on Monday than they had at all four meetings uh, combined. So uh, we had 200 people who were theirs with the he there with the heads of MARTA and Beltline and all that. So we're really good at community engagement and we have a membership base that really cares about that. We're only 10% uh, contributed funding, um, which is rare for the social sector uh, and we know that. Uh, but what's happened is, is We've been able to demonstrate that track record in a very fast period of time, and now that's opening up philanthropy to give us a runway over the course of the next five years. But we are not dependent on philanthropy for our existence. So what is Arthur Blank doing right on the west side? So, so what is he doing right? 
So yeah, you're right. The easiest thing to do is to say uh, he's doing wrong things, right? But uh, you know, at the end of the day, we actually just had a talk with uh, we we held a talk with Frank Fernandez at at the center. And one of the things Frank said was uh, when he sat down to take his current job as as one of the lead, the leadership positions at the foundation, uh, Arthur Blank said to him, "Look, to me, this is not just a stadium deal. Uh, this is about revitalizing a community in the city I call home." Now, at the end of the day, they they could have. Put, you know, one of the things Arthur Blank also said was that um, if he wanted to do a stadium deal, doing it in the middle of downtown Atlanta is not the most profitable thing to be doing, right? So uh, I, I believe that everybody who is talking about the West Side actually is, is quite well-intentioned. They do see it as an opportunity to uh, bring life and opportunity to, a, um, to residents that have been there a long time. They are putting their money where their mouth is. The problem is, is that they are not on the ground. Um, and so I think that they recognize that. I think that that's something that is shifting and they're looking to invest in more community-based organizations to better understand what residents want, what businesses want. Uh, so I think they've done a good job of saying, we understand that this has happened before. Uh, it, we have built a stadium before. We made a lot of promises before and those promises were not kept. And they're publicly saying now that they're gonna do it differently this time. Time will tell, uh, but I think at, at the very least, the narrative is, uh, is matching where they're putting their money. All right, Carl, what do you got? Before Carl asks, I wanna look you guys prepared. Our final flurry is you get to choose, you, you guys are gonna do like, the, you know, you're gonna ask other que a question of your other panelists. So I, I want you to be thinking of what you're gonna ask him. He's going to ask you, and then he's going to ask you. How about that? All right. So, Carl, they might give up. This is, you might stump them. Okay. So, thoughts from each of the guests. What do you mean by the outer perimeter by that? These guys, all right. So, so the question is for each of the panelists, each of the, each of the speakers, yeah. I was thinking OTP, I, Roswell, it's great, great restaurants. That's what we'll add to it. So the question is uh, to each of the panelists, how can AT&T Smart Cities and how can inexpensive sensors and startups help uh, the, the West Side communities? That's provide some benefits. Okay, good. Who wants to go first? You go? Yeah. All right, Carl, thank you for sticking to the script. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity, frankly, probably to do better, right? So that's first and foremost. Uh, and I think everyone acknowledges and appreciates that. But in a lot of the conversations that are being had at a mayoral level, you know, that's acknowledged, right? And, and, and the conversation is what can be done moving forward. So when you think about some of these technologies, um, there's really compelling stories that can be told there and, and solutions that can be deployed. So uh, announcements haven't been made, but I rattled off a list of cities before. One of those cities that we're going to be working on is actually uh, we're going to go deploy smart lighting, uh, intelligent LED lighting, right? So just moving to LED lighting alone results in a cost savings and a payback period two to three years. So cities write that check every day, okay? Uh, driving the industry day, tons of adoption across the country. So now you ask the question, all right, well, we're going to go switch this, this light out, right? We're going to roll a truck to do that, put in new hardware, 
but what else can be done? Maybe there's business cases, services, products that didn't get a green light before on their own, didn't justify rolling a truck, switching that hardware, that now can be justified if you roll it into this one deployment. So uh, we're gonna be going to a public housing development, one of the cities that we're working in, and rolling out the smart LED lighting. In conjunction with that, now we can do video management solutions for public safety. Uh, we can do facial recognition. You can do acoustic gunshot detection. 80% of gunfire goes unreported to police. Um, and I think those are all nice, kind of, again, maybe at the mayoral level, standing on uh, at City Hall looking in. But it's, it's also on the ground very simple. These folks don't have home internet, right? And, and students have homework to do that might be web-based. And they certainly don't have a smartphone with a data plan from AT&T that they can go log on and get that done, let alone a laptop, tablet, or home PC. So enrolling those trucks to do the LED lighting touch, if there's a fiber backbone or even if it's an LTE backbone supporting that, we're also gonna go do high-speed public Wi-Fi to turn up just connectivity in those communities alone. So it's, it sounds like a simple thing, but to someone who lives in the world we live in today and tries to operate in society who just doesn't have that connectivity, um, that can be a game changer, right? Because otherwise, if you don't have uh, internet access to, to log on and maybe interact with the DMV, maybe you're taking two buses to get to the DMV, two buses back, um, and, and those are now four unproductive hours that you're spending not being with your family, not being able to work and, and be productive. So um, bringing connectivity down into these areas, I think, is an easy first step for AT&T to add value. Um, I think it goes back to sensors and how sensors can impact everyday lives and talking about farming and urban farming, which is a subject uh, dear to my heart. There is every, every farm, no matter what its scale, uh, there's a need to measure the health of the plants, the health of the soil, the health of the growth medium, and do something with that information. And uh, to scale that down to the urban farm, I think, is a huge challenge, but it'd have huge benefit if you're minimizing the environmental impact of farming in a city, minimizing the water use, which is the big deal, uh, minimizing runoff, et cetera, through the use of sensors. Uh, certainly I see that having a, a major impact on uh, parts of the cities that need help. Uh, okay, go ahead. He's gonna come in and trump us in this space, no, no, no. so I, I, gotta, I gotta come in first. But you know, I, I wanna give an example specific to Atlanta as well, right, and, and, and showing kind of how Leadership at like Mayor Kasim Reed's level is also thinking about this. So there's the Department of Transportation Smart Cities Challenge that's out in the market today where one winning city is gonna get uh, $40 million of funding for from the federal DOT, 10 million from Vulcan Group, which is Paul Allen's philanthropic arm, uh, and a handful of other sponsors ha have made announcements as well. So Atlanta participated. We worked with uh, Matt Malaman over at the city who, who ran that uh, proposal development. and the cornerstone of what they were looking at is anchored on the fact that MARTA runs north-south and east-west effectively. And that's great if it's convenient for you. It's not so great if you live in one of those corners or pockets, uh, some more so than others, where again, if you live down here and the jobs are up here and you have to take two buses to get to a MARTA station or a bus to get to MARTA, then the train and then another bus to get to work, again, not a very productive use of citizens' time. Uh, so the city, not an AT&T conversation, but a city of Atlanta conversation, uh, their whole proposal is focused on how do you connect these pockets that otherwise don't have right away, right? So you think about things like autonomous vehicles that can help with last mile, and a lot of that's you know, future facing. There's a lot that can be done today with these connected corridors as well 
that the city's focusing on to address some of those uh, underserved areas where there's a lot of opportunity to, to make people more productive with their time. So there was a recent study that just came out on, uh, they, they were trying to ask uh, low-income neighborhoods uh, about internet usage, right? So it was, uh, and it, it was interesting, they actually studied the words that they used when talking about using a computer. Uh, and in most times when we talk about using a computer, we can we use it for a variety of things. I use it to shop, I use it to learn information, I learn it to use it to communicate with people. Uh, and the most often word uh, that was used in low-income uh, neighborhoods was to play, right? That it was a, uh, it's a um, luxury item. Like you just, you go, you go play on the internet or you go, go uh, you know, just waste time on the internet. Uh, and it's interesting because if there was high demand for internet services uh, within low-income neighborhoods, every major company would be there in a heartbeat, similar to food deserts, right? If there was actually demand for healthy, affordable foods, Kroger or whoever, company would go and, and make a grocery store but fact is that the demand is not meeting uh, where folks need to need to be from a business perspective to uh, bring themselves to a community now the question is is what do uh, what do they need what are people saying most is that they need a they need a reason to be on the internet. They need to understand why does that apply to me? Why should I care about being on the internet? And we all know of a variety of different answers to that question. Uh, but I think where there's the greatest opportunity is to actually invest around uh, helping provide information to people on how they get connected into a much larger economy because of the fact that they're on the internet. And that is a totally reasonable thing for us to just be like, duh, that makes total sense. Whereas a lot of other folks will say, that's a waste of my time. Or to get to the nearest internet access, I'm going to have to you know, go pretty far to actually get there. So why am I going to waste my time to do that? So uh, I think it's about we have an opportunity to provide a value proposition to low-income residents about bringing them into the economy that we already are thriving because of. And if you're doing smart cars, imagine if you did those smart cars and that new technology by starting first in the low-income neighborhoods versus just saying it'll eventually trickle down uh, to them. Uh, I think there's an opportunity to work with people so that they're the first movers, not the, the last to be thought of. Actually, Carl, I think that's a great way to end it. So thank you for that, that phrase. N no guns, no knives. You guys are good, right? So a uh, round of applause for Jim, Rohit, and, and Matt. Got to make sure my right when my, my slide deck goes off. So um, thank you again for coming out to Hump Day Exchange. Uh, really excited about uh, this first iteration. Uh, the, the Bahama Blast Snowballs are still being sold. Uh, Doggy Dog is out. He's, he's done. But Parkent uh, uh, will be able to be more than happy to show you their uh, electronic parking rack. Is that right? Bike rack. Electronic bike rack. There you go. Um, and then uh, for those of you that are, that are interested uh, in membership in Sandbox, you can go to sandboxatl.com. Uh, if you're interested in renting a great venue like this, uh, great for hackathons like, uh, like Matt mentioned, uh, you can go to bookthegarage.com and Heather is here tonight to talk to you. And if you're curious, the next Hump Day Exchange, this is brand new, you guys are the first to hear it, is Wednesday, July 13th, and the topic is Our Robot Overlords. 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. So look forward to it. If you had a good time tonight, make sure you let other folks know that you were at the Hump Day Exchange and that they should come to the next one. And we'll see you around. Make sure you uh, stick around if you want to. We've got some, uh, some drinks still outside. And uh, we got our speakers here who are happy to talk to you. So thanks for coming out tonight.
TechSquare ATL is a media studio connecting you to the heart of Atlanta's tech community. Copyright Sandbox Communities, LLC.